We continue this morning our study of the amazing and wonderful letter written to the church at Rome by Paul. We've been studying this magnum opus of Paul, this this charter of the Christian faith, the most magnificent letter ever written, which, by the way, was written as a missionary support letter. Uh, We send those out when we go on short-term missions trips. Paul wrote this one in advance because he was headed to Spain to take the name of Jesus where it had never gone. By the way, it's the best support letter ever been written. Next time you go on on a short-term mission trip, just send the the letter to the Romans. Say, here's what I'm about. Uh, If you can sign off on this, then you can support me in prayer. We've been looking at this letter to the Romans under this heading, the gospel of the righteousness of God. What's this letter about? If you boil the whole 16 chapters of this letter down, the truth of Romans is that there is good news... And that good news is about the righteousness of God. It's about the fact that holy God who demands righteousness, if we're to stand before him and have a relationship with him, has through Jesus given us the very righteousness that he demands from us. He did that through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And Paul spends the entirety of this letter unfolding that gospel, that good news, and explaining the ramifications of it. So, again, before you leave this morning, I want you to be able to explain to your kids what it means that we are sons and daughters of Abraham and just how it is, and here comes the title of the message for this morning, that Father Abraham is still having many sons and daughters. Did you know that? Today, all around the world... Father Abraham is still having many sons and daughters. You said, Chad, I'm really concerned about your mental state in this moment because Father Abraham has been dead a long time. There's no way he's still having kids. Oh, yes, there is. And I I do have some problems, but I'm good on this. We're going to look this morning at at Romans chapter 4. Here's the truth I want you to take home. Children of Abraham are those who trust God's promises about Jesus' life, death, and resurrection as the only way to be made right with God. What does it mean to say that you are a son or a daughter of Father Abraham? It means that you are one of those who trusts God's promises about Jesus' life, death, and resurrection as the only way to be made right with God. And as we walk through Romans 4, we're going to see that truth as Paul breaks it down to basically three key truths about justification. We've been talking about justification in chapter 3 in particular, haven't we? We've been talking about justification, being made right and declared righteous before holy God. That's what the word justification is all about. We've been talking about that. We've been talking about the fact that it's justification by faith. We've been talking about the fact that it's, it's, it's to, this justification is received as a gift. It's by grace. This morning what you're going to see is we're going to keep talking about the same things. But what we're going to do in this chapter, what we see Paul doing, is taking Abraham and using him as an illustration of one who was justified by faith and showing us that if we trust 
God's promises about Jesus' life, death, and resurrection is the only way to be made right with God, then indeed we are sons and daughters of Abraham. And so look with me first of all, as we think about these things, at the, at the truth in verses 1 through 8, that justification before God comes by faith, not by works. Now before we read the text... What I want you to understand is, is why Paul goes to Abraham. He's been talking to the church at Rome. He's been talking about how things are for, for, for Gentiles before a holy God and Jews before a holy God. And the fact that, bottom line, everybody's on the same playing field because everyone's a sinner who needs a Savior, and that's Jesus. And you get salvation by trusting Him and all that He did on the, in His life, death, and resurrection. And all of a sudden... Paul takes a whole chapter and talks about this guy from the Old Testament named Abraham. And as Gentiles, we're tempted to think, and, and, and like, why would he do that? I mean, I, I'm not a Jew. Why would I care about Abraham? What's Abraham got to do with the gospel of Jesus Christ in the New Testament under the New Covenant? John Stott says Paul wants Jewish Christians to grasp that his gospel of justification by faith is no novelty. So for the Jews, here's what he wants them to get, that, that this gospel has been proclaimed beforehand in the Old Testament, that it's not new. It's really an old good news. It's the same gospel that's been preached since the garden where God said that the seed of woman would crush the head of Satan. The proto-euangelion, the, 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 the first prophecy that a Savior would come. And so Paul wants Jewish Christians to get that. But he also wants Gentile Christians to appreciate the rich spiritual heritage they've entered into by faith in Jesus in continuity with the Old Testament people of God. Abraham, and as we'll see, David also in this chapter, King David, show that justification by faith is God's one and only way of salvation. First in the Old Testament... And then in the new. And secondly, for Jews as well as for Gentiles. There's one way of salvation. It's by faith in Jesus Christ. And, and, and secondly, it's the same, no matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile. Abraham was held in the highest esteem by the rabbis of Israel as the epitome of righteousness. And even, as they referred to him, the special friend of God. They took it for granted and wrongly interpreted Scripture thereby, that he had been justified by works of righteousness. Works of righteousness. For instance, quoting from the, the rabbis, Abraham was perfect in all his dealings with the Lord and gained favor by his righteousness throughout his life. This is what the rabbis of Israel taught. Is that in the Bible? Absolutely not. In fact, the Bible shows us the mistakes and the sins of Abraham. And yet the rabbinical traditions and teachings were that he was perfect and, and that he was justified by his works. They quoted the scriptures in, where, in which God promised to bless Abraham and he did promise this at one point because he had obeyed him. But they did that without, that they quoted that without observing the fact that these verses referred to Abraham's life of obedience after he had been justified by faith. The rabbis even quoted Genesis 15, 6, Paul's text in this chapter, verse 3, as we'll see it, in such a way as to represent Abraham's faith as meaning his fidelity or faithfulness. There's a difference in faith and faithfulness, right? Faithfulness is about your 
your goodness, your obedience, stuff you do. Faith is what you do on Christmas morning when, when, when mama and daddy give you a Christmas gift. You have faith that they want you to have it and you take it. Big difference. Faithfulness could be seen as meritorious, and indeed it was among the rabbis. For example, again, quoting the rabbis, was not Abraham found faithful in temptation, and it, his faithfulness, was reckoned unto him for righteousness? No, in fact, that's not exactly how it was at all. So pick up the text in Romans 4, verse 1. Paul says, What then shall we say was gained by Abraham? Our forefather according to the flesh. For us as Jews, Paul says, what shall we say was gained by Abraham? How did, how did this whole salvation deal go with, with Abraham? For if, verse 2, Abraham was justified by works, as the rabbis taught, that would not have been a foreign thought to the Jewish readers of the, this letter to the church at Rome. If Abraham was justified by works, like the rabbis say, he has something to boast about. What do we look at in chapter 3, verse 27? What, what does it say there? What then of boasting? If it's justification by faith alone, the work of Christ alone, by grace alone, what happens to our boasting before God? It is excluded, the text says. We have nothing to brag about except Jesus. If, though, Abraham was justified by works, then he has something to boast about, but not before God. That whole way of thinking is wrong, Paul says. For what does the Scripture say? I love it when the New Testament says, what does the Bible say? What does the Old Testament say? And what you learn in that, in that, in that quotation, in that question is this. The New Testament's built on the Old. The New Testament authors were not coming up with new stuff. They were, they were, they were explaining the fullness of what had been said and, and prophesied and, 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 and started in the Old Covenant. What does the Scripture say? Abraham, quote, from the Old Testament, Genesis 15, verse 6, Abraham believed God, and it, that is his faith, was counted to him as righteousness. What really happened with Abraham? How did Abraham have a relationship with God? What was gained by Abraham? Righteousness by faith. Paul says, this stuff I've been telling you in chapter 3, that's what happened to Abraham too. It wasn't his works like the rabbis teach. It was his faith. And his faith was counted as righteousness. When he trusted the promise of God, God counted that trust as if, as if Abraham had been righteous his whole life. And he credited his account righteousness before God. God had told Abram at that particular time, which by the way, that name meant the father of many, but he was actually the father of none. He and Sarah couldn't have kids, right? You know the story? God had told Abram, the father of many, that his reward would be very great. And Abram looks at, at God and he says, how? There in Genesis 15, how? I mean, I mean, I mean, God, I don't have any children. How can you make my reward great? Because that would imply a great generation that would come after him, just all kind of blessings in, in terms of family and a lineage in his name. And, and he says, how? I have no children. All I got is Eleazar from Damascus. I got a servant. You're going to give me a, a descendant from, from, from Eleazar? And, and, and God says, oh, no. No, no, no. It'll be from your own loins that I give you a descendant. And so 
God says, tell you what, Abraham, get up and come outside with me. Walk out, walk outside with me. I want you to look up at the night sky. Abraham, you see all those stars? Here's what I want you to do. I want you to start counting the stars. Yeah, you still counting? You know, Abraham, we could be here all night and you'd still be counting, right? You understand how many stars are up there, right? You see all those stars, Abraham? You understand you can't count the stars, Abraham? Abraham, or Abram, that's how many descendants you're going to have. And you know what Abram says? Wow. Okay, then. Now, understand, he says that knowing he can't have kids, knowing his wife can't bear children. Because they haven't had any children. And they've been trying. And they got it figured out how to have kids. No kids. He believed the Lord. And he, the Lord, counted it to him, Abram, as righteousness. Okay, God. What went through Abraham's mind in that moment? Maybe it was something like this. God, I mean, I don't know. I don't get it. Doesn't make sense to me, but if you made all those stars that I can't count, then you can give me a kid. What's, a, what's one kid? When he made billions of stars. Maybe that's what he thought. I don't know. Verse 4. Now, to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. Let me just ask you something. When, you get, when, when payday comes around at work, do you run to your boss's office and get down on your knees and say, oh, sir, thank you so much for this precious gift of money today. Huh? No. You say, man, yeah. You may, you, I mean, you may say thank you, but you really don't even mean it because you're not really thanking him. You earned it, didn't you? You worked for that paycheck. You don't particularly thank your boss for the money that you earned. I mean, that's bad accounting, Tacey, Right? The wages are not counted as a gift, but as your due. And verse 5, to the one, but but on the other hand, to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. His faith is counted as righteousness. So in other words, if Abraham had earned salvation, then God would only be given Abraham A paycheck. What he earned. What he deserved. But if Abraham was saved by faith and God counted his faith as righteousness, then you see, that's grace. And suddenly, the ungodly Abraham is declared right with holy God. Not by works, but by Faith. You see, justification comes, justification before Almighty God comes by faith, not works. There's a word that you've seen a couple times now. We're going to see it more as we move through the text. It's the word counted. Do you see that? It's the word logizomai in Greek. And, and, and we're going to see this as we go through. The word means, um, it, it, it's the idea of crediting, counting as if it were something else, counting faith as if it were actual righteousness. You tracking with me? 
One commentator said, God's crediting faith as righteousness, as the text says, is not a rewarding of merit, but a free and unmerited decision of divine grace, where God does divine accounting and, and, and counts for you in your spiritual bank account as if you've done everything right and holy and good according to the law of God. Not because you did. Because we're all clear on this, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We've not, any of us, done the law, kept the law. But because Jesus did it for you, he can do this injustice, divine accounting. This is, this is the propitiation idea put in accounting terms. He can, because of the death of Christ in your place, he can count, he, he can, he can put to your account righteousness. And credit your faith that trusts what Jesus did as if you had been righteous. Isn't that amazing? That's beautiful. That's good news. That's something to get excited about. Do not let me catch you falling asleep during this. I will holler at you. Just teasing. But this is good stuff, is it not? How is it that holy God does this? What grace, what mercy? It is not by works that we're justified. It is by Faith. Verse 6. Now he, he switches just for a couple verses here. He switches from Abraham to David, and he's going to come back to Abraham and spend the rest of the chapter there. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from work. The blessed blessing, the happiness. Here's what he says as he quotes from Psalm 31 or 32, verses 1 and 2. Blessed, David wrote. And sang out to God in praise. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. This is justification by faith. The psalm, many believe, Psalm 32. We're not for sure, but we believe that David probably wrote this psalm after he wrote Psalm 51, both of which he wrote after Nathan the prophet confronted him about his sin with Bathsheba and the murder of her husband after he committed adultery with Bathsheba, the murder of her husband, Uriah the Hittite. We believe he wrote Psalm 51 to repent and confess. And then we believe he wrote Psalm 32 to express forgiveness from all of that awful sin. So if these words express his Enjoyment of forgiveness after adultery and murder. Y'all tracking? How big a deal is the gospel? Like, does it get into the messy part of you? Will the grace of God, will justification, will it penetrate to the messy, gross, awful, dark things about you that nobody knows but God? If David could write this song of praise after committing adultery and having and plotted murder, and thereby being responsible for the death of the child born to Bathsheba. That's some guilt, is it not? Are y'all tracking? If God can forgive that, and if David can come out the other side, having turned from sin and let it go and confessed it to God and say, blessed are those whose sins are forgiven. Blessed are those whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man, that's me, David says, against whom the Lord will not count his sin. John Piper says it this way. Paul, in, in this text of Romans 4, 
does not see justification as the imputation of righteousness alone. We've been talking about that. The granting of righteousness. Giving us righteousness we don't have. Or as the forgiveness of sin alone. Psalm 32 that we've just been talking about. For him, forgiveness of sin must include the positive imputation of God's righteousness. And the imputation of God's righteousness must include the forgiveness of sin. That's why Paul includes it here. Abraham, justification by faith. The imputation of righteousness based on faith. David, the forgiveness of the worst of sins. And the imputation of God's righteousness must include the forgiveness of sin. And the blessedness of both conditions is that each is apart from works. What did David do to get forgiveness? All he did was Psalm 51, which is agree with God about his sin and say, yes, that's sin. I need your forgiveness. Create in me a clean heart. Did he pray a thousand rosaries, do a bunch of penance, give a bunch of money to the, to the church so there could be some masses said in his place? I mean, I mean, what did he do? He came to God and he said, I'm the man. I've sinned against God. I need your forgiveness. He didn't work his way back to God. God imputed righteousness to him and covered, even through the blood of Jesus Christ at that time, to come. All of his sins. John Stott puts it this way, justification involves a double counting, crediting, or reckoning. On the one hand, negatively, God will never count our sins against us. This is what Jesus has given to us. On the other hand, positively, God credits our account with righteousness as a free gift by faith, altogether, both hands apart from our works. That's justification by faith. That is the good news of the righteousness of God. Paul would talk about these same things over in, in, in his letter to the Galatians. In Galatians 3, verse 5, he looks at the church at Galatia, and they had gotten into this, uh, they had wandered as believers back into this mix of faith and works. They bought a lie. They, they started out right. Christ alone, by grace and alone, through faith alone, in the work of Christ alone. They had it. But then there were some false teachers that came around and said, look, you know, I mean, you don't really believe it's that simple, do you? You really don't believe that it's, it's all Jesus. I mean, come on, everybody knows that you got to do something. Turn your relationship with God. Keep, keep your relationship with God at the very least. And so they kind of bought into that. And, and, and Paul just rebukes him and he says, Does he who supplies the Spirit to you, who would that be? Who, who supplies the Spirit to you? God. Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law? In other words, do you earn the stuff God does in your life? Like, do you earn his presence? Did you earn his presence, his indwelling presence in your heart today? Did you buy that from him? And when he blesses your life, when he does crazy things in your midst as a church, did you do that by work? Did you get that by works of the law? Is he giving you a paycheck for that, for what you've done for him? Are you kidding me? Or is it by faith? Verse 6, just as Abraham, quote, Genesis 15, 6, believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. The obvious answer is it's the same for you as it was for Abraham. You ain't ever earned nothing with holy God because you ain't holy. 
I'm a big sinner. By the way, we need to use some of those words. We need to sing those songs that talk about us being a worm. It's okay. Let it hurt your self-esteem. You might actually be able to get the grace of God. Same for your kids, by the way. Parents, just a little parenting advice. <laughs> Amen? Y'all all right? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteous. Verse 7 of Galatians 3. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. I'm beginning, just in case your parents, in case you're missing it, we're beginning to give you the answer to the lunch question, okay? You need to be paying close attention because those little voices are going to say, Mama, Daddy, what does the song mean? Know then that those of faith, it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles, that's us, by faith, preach the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. The message of Jesus Christ was preached without the name of Jesus Christ included, but that's what he's referring to, Paul says. When he told Abraham, in you every nation will be blessed, he was talking about Jesus. He was talking about the gospel. He was talking about the fact that by faith in Jesus, we could become sons of Abraham and more importantly, sons of God. So then, verse 9, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Skipping down to verse 22 of chapter 3. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin. The Old Testament, the law of God, imprisoned everything under sin. Listen so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given not to those who work, not to those who are good enough, not to those who can keep the law, but because he just said everybody's been shut up under sin, imprisoned by the law, so that you could be set free from all of that by believing. That the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Justification before God comes by faith not by works. So how is it that Father Abraham is still having many sons and daughters? It's the reality that the children of Abraham are those who believe the promises of God in Jesus Christ. Philippians 3, verses 8 and 9. That's why Paul would say this, I count everything as rubbish, as dung, the word literally means that I may be found in Christ, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. Theologians call this an alien righteousness. It doesn't mean it came from Mars. It means it's a righteousness that's not from us. It's actually Jesus' righteousness credited to us. It's alien to us, but it's His and given to us. I count everything as dung that I may be found in Christ, not having a righteousness of my own, derived from trying to keep the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. Children of Abraham, you see, are those who trust God's promises about Jesus' life, death, and resurrection as the only way to be made right with God. Justification before God comes by faith. But secondly, notice with me in Verses 9 and following, justification before God comes by grace, not law. We've already been seeing it, but see it more clearly here. Verse 9, 
It comes by grace, not by law. Is this blessing then, justification, is it only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it, listen, before or after he had been circumcised? This was a big deal. It was not after, but before he was circumcised, Paul says. You see, in Genesis 17, two chapters after where we've been in Genesis 15, y'all with me? Y'all tracking? God says, you're going to have descendants like the stars of the sky. Abraham believed God. It was credited to him as righteousness. Two chapters later, at least a decade later in time, in Genesis 17, God comes to Abram. Listen to this. This is awesome. God comes to Abram and changes his name from Abram, father of many, to Abraham, father of multitudes. And it was then that he commanded Abraham and all of his male descendants to be circumcised. I had a parent tell me last week that yeah, you created a real problem for me. I had to explain circumcision. Well, sorry about it. I'm not going to give you a lesson. I'm assuming you all catch what we're talking about, that physical mark of the Jews. Abram, father of many, you're going to be Abraham. Because remember what I told you back in, uh, 10 years ago, that night out looking at the stars? That's not just many. That's, that's multitudes. And you believe me then, you still believe me now. That's where we're going. And I'm going to give you this mark as a sign and seal of your faith. Verse 11. He received, that is Abraham, received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose that is, of circumcision not being introduced until after Abraham was justified by faith 10 years earlier in Genesis 15. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised. God did the order on purpose. God unfolded history on purpose. God set up the scenario where Abraham would believe by faith and be justified by faith before he was ever circumcised on purpose, and the Jews phew, just totally missed it. It was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that, listen, righteousness would be counted to them as well and to make him the father of the circumcised who were not merely circumcised but who also walked in the footsteps of the faith of our father Abraham had, our, our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath. What does the law do for us? It shows us our sin. Because we can't keep it. But there were... But where there is no law, there is no transgression. That doesn't mean that if you, if you weren't a Jew, you weren't a sinner. Or transgression is very specific. It means deliberate, specific disobedience of a known, specific command. Gentiles are still sinners. We've already established that back in chapter 2 and even in chapter 1. You see what's going on here? 
You know, you know what Paul's saying in these verses? He's saying a lot. We don't have time to unpack it all, but here, here's what he's saying. God did it the way he did it so that it would be clear that it's not those who are national Jews, ethnic Jews, those who are born into the nation of Israel, those who are circumcised as a Jew in the nation of Israel. It's not those who are the true children of Abraham. They are children of Abraham in one sense, in a physical sense. But that's not really what God's most interested in. God's most interested in Abraham's children that come by faith. And so God made sure Abraham was justified before he was circumcised. So nobody could ever say, though they did, nobody could ever say, you know, the, the people that are really right with God, it's, it's us circumcised. It's not how the father of the nation was made right with God. He was justified by faith. And God did it on purpose. Now, if you're a Jew and you trust the promises, if you're a Jew and you don't rely on your, circumstance, on your circumcision, but you rely on the promises of God about Messiah to come, then you too can be a true child of Abraham. So in the nation of Israel, here's what I want to clarify for you. Among the nation of Israel, there were true Jews and just Jews. Y'all, y'all with me? There were true children of Abraham, eternal children of Abraham, spiritually saved children of Abraham, and just born to the bloodline of Abraham that will bust hell wide open, that are not justified before a holy God. They're just circumcised. Good place to say it. In the church of Jesus Christ, you can be raised with all the blessings. You can go through all the motions. You can be baptized. You can have gone through the whole profession of faith from a church, been done the whole nine, and be lost if you've not had faith here in Jesus Christ. Verse 16. That is why it depends on faith. In order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all, as it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. There's the answer to our question. How is it that Father Abraham is still having sons and daughters being born today? It's because justification is by grace, not by the law. It's because justification comes by faith, not by works. That is why justification depends on faith. In order that, verse 16, the promise may rest on his own grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. Every time someone trusts the gospel of Jesus Christ, believes in what Christ did in his life, death, and resurrection, and, and believes it, it applies to them, you know what happens? Oh, Father Abraham clicks another one off. There's another one of my kids following in my footsteps, trusting Jesus as Savior, knowing God as Father. I just had another son. Hey, Jesus, do you see that? Another son of faith, trusting in you, Knowing the ultimate father, my father too. And so history continues to unfold and Abraham keeps having kids. Galatians 3, 
16 says this way. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, plural, referring to many, but referring to one. You can go back and look at the Hebrew text, and it does, in fact, say it in the singular. Through your seed, I will bless all nations. And to, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is, Paul says, Christ. How do you interpret Genesis 15, Genesis 12? You just let Paul tell you how to interpret it. When he says seed in Genesis 12, Genesis 15, he's talking about Jesus. This is what I mean. The law, which came 430 years afterward, that is, after the promise that through the seed of Abraham he would bless all nations... The law which came 430 years afterward does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God so as to make the promise void. For if the inheritance comes by law, it no longer comes by promise, but God gave it to Abraham by a promise. Verse 26, For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, Hey, there's neither slave nor free. Economic differences don't matter. There's neither male nor female. Not that those things go away. Those, those distinctions go away. There's no gender neutral. The point is, it doesn't matter if you're a male or a female. In that day, females were second-class citizens. No, at the cross, the ground's level, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Listen, and if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. There's your answer to you kids. Justification before God comes by grace, not law. Children of Abraham are those who trust God's promises about Jesus' life, death, and resurrection as the only way to be made right with God. Thirdly and finally this morning, justification before God comes by sovereign power, not human effort. Pick it up, second part of verse 17. In the presence of the God in whom he believed, this is Abraham before God, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. In hope, he, Abraham, believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations as he had been told, so shall your offspring be. Quote there from Genesis 15, verse 5. In hope, he believed against hope. What does it mean to believe against hope? Well, it means... He knew that physically speaking, humanly speaking, he was infertile and so was Sarah. They were too old to bear children. It doesn't happen when she's 90 and you're 100. It just doesn't happen. In hope, he believed against hope. Justification before God comes by sovereign power, not human effort. Verse 19, he did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him, as we've already seen, as righteousness. So Paul summarizes all that we've been talking about. And he said, here's the deal. You know what's clear? Justification is not only by faith and and, 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 and by grace, Paul says, let me say that a little differently. It's by the power of God. It's by sovereign power. Through faith, by grace, God does justification, not you. 
And then he turns and brings it all home to you, to me, to the church at Rome. But that's the deal on Abraham. 22 verses explaining that to us. But, look at it, the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Hallelujah. What a Savior. Paul says, let me tell you, you know why I went to all the trouble to tell you about Abraham? Because that story about Abraham wasn't written just for Abraham. When God said it is counted to him as righteousness, he didn't just say it for Abraham. He said it for people who would live thousands of years later, hundreds and, and, and a couple thousands of years later. He said it for you so that you could know and see that justification before God comes by sovereign power, not human effort. So that you could look at the life and story of Abraham and see exactly how God does things. And know that just like he did it in Abraham's life, he can do it in your life. And hear me, he can do that today. Today. And if you're here and you, and you know God through faith in Christ, this is what he has done in your life. And you still ought to be just as amazed as you were on the first day. In fact, you probably ought to be more amazed. You know what the mark of maturity in the, in, the, in, the, in the Christian life is? You just get more and more amazed at grace. You sing amazing grace with greater confidence, greater enthusiasm. You understand how amazing it is more and more and more as you grow closer to Jesus. Those words, it was counted to him, not for Abraham's sake alone, but for ours also. What does he mean? What do I mean? Paul says, it will be counted to us who believe in him. That is Jesus, or the Father, and all the Father tells us about Jesus, who was raised, Jesus, from the dead, who raised from the dead, Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses. That means he was given and went to the cross for our sins. And raised for our justification. We've said this before. God, nobody, nobody can make you right with God. A Savior, suppose Savior can't make you right with God if he's dead in the grave. Right? He can't give you anything. He can't give you forgiveness. He can't give you righteousness. He has nothing. He's dead. On the third day, Jesus rose. And in his resurrection, he's able to justify. You have to have a living Savior to be justified. You have to believe in a resurrected Christ to have salvation with holy God. Because the dead man can't do nothing for you. John MacArthur says, the moment of Abram's salvation was when he believed something that was just plain unbelievable. Is that how you think about the gospel? He believed in something he could not see. He believed in something to which he could not make any contribution Justification before God comes by sovereign power, not human effort. Children of Abraham are those who trust God's promises about Jesus' life, death, and resurrection as the only way to be made right with God. I am one of them. Are you? 
Are you, by childlike faith, trusting God's grace in Jesus alone to give you the righteousness you need before holy God is a gift, believing that the God who made all things and raised Jesus from the dead can pull off your righteousness and the forgiveness of all your sin if you simply trust Him? Parents, make sure to tell your kids what it means to be a son or daughter of Abraham and how they can be at lunch today. Father Abraham's still, that old guy, he's still having sons and daughters today. So tell all you know who don't know Jesus that they may be part of the true Israel of God and sons and daughters of Abraham, but more importantly, so that they can be like Abraham, made right with holy God and call him Father forevermore. Children of Abraham are those who trust God's promises about Jesus' life, death, and resurrection is the only way to be made right with God. Let's pray together.